Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 249, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This episode, what can school districts do to fight the bus driver shortage? Stay with us. Dismiss is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each episode, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. Our guest this episode spent two decades experimenting and refining his techniques to manage burnout in the classroom, and he's here today to offer us a peek into his methods. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by friend, chief academic officer, as well as co-host of the Class Dismissed podcast, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Yeah, doing well, pretty good. Yep, zero complaints. Good. That's that's like two shows in a row, right? Like I know, right? Everything's. So you better get ready for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, but all right, yeah. Um, hey, so I wanted to bring this up because. For those of you that listen, you may have heard say, I, I end up moving. Uh, I'm in Florida now. I'm in Orange County, big county, same county as Disney World, just to give you some perspective. And my little girl started school. And we start later here in the elementary school. We start, um, I have to have her there by 845. We get there sooner. But um, so it's kind of late because I think in Lamar County, we were dropping her off. It was like 720 or 725. Yeah, um, early. So we're kind of liking that. But uh, and then I noticed the middle school here starts at 9.30. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, we've done the re- stories. We've talked about this on the show, how you have um, the older kids. It might be best for their health to start the older kids later. Do you, are yes. you familiar with this? Yep. Okay. Very. So, so I was like, all right, that's cool. But then I realized the high schoolers here are starting at 7.30. That is not good for them. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what I thought. And so I was like, oh, gosh, I don't know that there's a lot of science and stuff that says, you know, the older you are, you know, you need to get more rest. And also they're out playing extracurricular activities and stuff. So my wife, she was asking somebody, she's like, why does the high school start so early? And somebody said, because they all work. And I was kind of like, well, I never really factored that in, you know, like just I guess there might have been a push for, hey, at least in this county, it's a large county. But, you know, we have a lot of high schoolers that may help support the family and so forth. And it was kind of something that I've never really factored into the equation. Right. Like what may be best in science may not be as practical in real life. I don't know. Just thought that was an interesting observation. It's a great observation, and um, to think that the high schoolers are helping their families out, or if not for that, then just, you know, maybe saving and prepping for college. But for a high school to go earlier, simply to accommodate those teenagers um, having afternoon and evening work schedules, I think that is super supportive. Yeah, I think so, too. I was like, okay, that makes sense. But, you know, at the same time, I wish those kids could sleep in more, you know, but it's just kind of the world we live in. And 
Um, hey, just something to keep honestly, in mind. Honestly, they're not sleeping anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right, no doubt. All right, so uh, today I wanted to talk about uh, something that's come across my radar, uh, and I think we're all familiar with it, especially since the pandemic, but I think it was a problem before the pandemic, and that is uh, transportation issues, just like mostly related to bus driver shortages. D- did you guys have any kind of kicking off? We didn't Oh, hear. we really did feel the burn of needing drivers. We struggled um, during COVID when we were, you know, having a lot of virtual learning and then we switched to hybrid learning. And then when we went back traditional, it was tough. But right now, um, we're okay. Well, that's Again, good to hear. Yeah, yeah, we're okay. Good. All right. Well, so the one example that I read, this one was this year. There was a Kentucky school district, the largest district in the uh, state. Let me see what it was. I just want to make sure it's Jefferson County Public Schools. I think they serve the Louisville area. And they actually had to cancel six days of classes after oh it took hours for drivers to drive newly configured routes, and also they had the shortage and so forth, they said that some students arrived home at 10 p.m. on the first day of school. And and I, I say that because I know that we had parents in our neighborhood complaining like, hey, my, my child's not back. It's 4.30, and they got out two hours ago. Yeah. Um, There's a couple of negatives about that. I surely um, hate the negativity or the frustration that may have been, you know, put on the school district and those principals, because honestly, there's nothing you can do if you don't have drivers. But at the same time, when you're thinking about your little ones and it's six, seven, eight, you said 10 o'clock, that's worrisome. Um, I hope that they were able to come to a conclusion. Yeah, well, I think they're working on it. I think, you know, but like you said, it's like it shouldn't just all fall on the school. It needs to be a community effort. They did, of course, you know, politicians jumped on board and like, what do we need to do? And like they have the answers, right? Um, And then there was uh, UPS, who I think actually has a headquarters in Kentucky, was like, hey, we can help you maybe plan your routes better and so forth. But all those things, I don't know if they really solve the fact that there's not as many people wanting to drive a school bus. And and we can speculate. It's, it's aligned to not as many people wanting to teach in classrooms. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's just reality right now that schools took a big hit during the pandemic, and it has not helped a lot of the negativity that schools also, you know, they took a big hit with that. Teachers getting burnt out faster, and that includes bus drivers, Um. You know, we went through a little stint uh, after COVID where student behavior was on the rise and kids trying to acclimate themselves back into a structured environment. It's tough being a driver. You got to manage 70, yes. 75 children on a bus, but keep your eyes on the road. That's hard. Yeah, no, it's it's no doubt super difficult. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, a bus driver, it's a part time job, right? I mean, it's probably it's a part time job and you make anywhere from 12 to 20 dollars an hour. The max you're going to get is four hours in the day. All right. Here's my theory. So that was a part-time job you would do where, you know, you maybe do something else. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're Mm -hmm. young and you're going to school or whatever. Um, A lot of them are retired. Right. A lot of retired. What's another way that used to not exist that you can make $12 to $20 an hour working part-time? And the list is much longer than it used to be, right? Because you can Uber, Lyft. Go buy someone's groceries with um, Instacart, 
Um, you can uh, do With Amazon less stress. Amazon That's delivery exactly. You don't have a bus full of kids screaming and shouting, and you have all that liability. You know, you can listen to a podcast or whatever when you're delivering that stuff. You can't do that as a bus driver, right? You got to be focused. No. And and so I really wonder if that's not kind of part of the problem too. I mean, if you ask me which job I'd want, unfortunately, I'm going to say I will deliver Amazon packages before I would drive a bus. Well, and let's be clear, it's not easy to get licensed to drive a bus either. Right. So I, I just going to throw out, I hate to just be a problem spotter and not a problem solver and not that I necessarily have, uh, you know, any great answers, but I was just kind of perusing, trying to find like, all right, what could we do to make somebody want to sign on to be a bus driver? If you've well, got any I'll ideas, I'll tell you go a ahead, few John. things yeah. that we did. Um, we encouraged our coaches. One of the things that we talked about last year, um, if we're coaching athletics, it would be so much easier if you could drive your teams to their games or their matches instead of the district incurring additional costs to have a bus driver. So with that conversation, there's not a coach in our school district that is not licensed to drive a bus as we started this school year. So those coaches are helping us run our routes on top of, you know, if it's their season, then they're driving their players to their games. That right. was one. Um, another incentive is we had to buckle down and raise the salary for um, driving a bus. Right. It didn't go up very much, but, you know, something helps and shows um, that we appreciate that. Um, we've been full of minutes, some, um, incentives and some bus driver appreciation days throughout the school year. All good. All good. A lot of advertising, promoting it a bit more, but also including bus drivers in our recognition when we have the district-wide convocation and including um, bus drivers in our videos for recruitment and retention. All great ideas. I, I saw um, New Caney, uh, Texas Independent School District. Uh, they apparently had a sign-on bonus, two fifty for Whoa, a driver with no CDL, five hundred for a driver with a C- CDL. Because anyone who's like had to manage a budget, it's one thing to raise a salary, right? Like that's a permanent increase. But a bonus is sometimes are a little easier to find that cash. Like, hey, we know that it's going to cost this much. It's not this recurring cost necessarily. It's easier sell to the higher ups, I think sometimes. Um, so that's not a bad idea. Uh, you could do a referral bonus, right? So word of mouth, you know, you bring your friend on that person might get $250, um, and so forth, uh, and just kind of work their way through. And that all depends on the state that you're in, because I'm not exactly sure if we can do signing bonuses, um, with our state regs, but that comes, that aligns yourself with, you know, your community partnerships and getting someone to support that effort and providing those incentives. Right. And then if you can't do it in your state, maybe the rules need to be changed for this purpose alone, you know, or I don't know know how you word it. You mentioned advertise. I don't know what the rules are here, but you never see any advertisements on the side of a school bus. Like, but you never see anything like, Hey, now hiring bus drivers, $250 signing bonus or anything like that. So it's a possibility, you know? Yeah, that's a great idea. So anyhow, we don't have all the answers, but I just want to have a quick conversation about the fact that it is a problem uh, all across the nation, but it's good to hear that you guys had a good start to your school year. It was a little bit of a struggle here for us in Orange County. We um, not a lot more children to transport. That's for sure. And and so they used to have a rule. I think it was if you were within one mile of the school, there was no bus route. And I think they extended it to either one and a half or two miles. I know some parents were upset because now they're driving their kids to school or biking or, or whatever works for them, but they actually expanded that radius. All right, Christina, are you ready for today's bright idea? Bring it on. 
It's no secret our education system is in the middle of an unprecedented teacher burnout crisis. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is here to offer a guide on how teachers can navigate burnout in the classroom. Jay Schroeder is the founder of the Teach From Your Best Self Institute. He's also authored a guidebook titled Teach From Your Best Self. Jay spent more than two decades experimenting and refining his techniques to manage burnout, and he's here today to offer us a sneak peek into his methods. Jay, welcome to Class Dismissed. Well, thank you, Nick. It's certainly a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so uh, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, no worries. I was just wanted to say that um, uh, I've been in the classroom for 24 years, the last four of which I've been designing Teach for Your Best Self, the last three of which I've been writing a book all at the same time and leading training. So this is the first time I've actually lifted my head up to say, hey, let's get on a podcast. So it's really a pleasure to get to talk to you. And this is kind of the first, I think, time that Teach for Your Best Self sort of emerges from the shadows of Southern Oregon to uh, a broader audience. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited that uh, you're speaking with us at this point then. And and it's so interesting because, you know, I don't think any of our listeners have any doubt that, I mean, teaching's difficult and, and things have only gotten more difficult. But help illustrate for us why you even felt like, this is something I need to write about and, and tell people about. Yeah. Well, you know, as a, as a new teacher, I struggled. I struggled severely. Uh, the job was much harder than I thought it was going to be. It was hard for multiple reasons. Um, so I started, and then I started developing ways that I could sustain myself in the profession. And I've had some huge advantages. One of them, interestingly enough, being a karate path. And another one being a very wise mentor who has guided me along the way of my own personal development. And then, to be honest, uh, weirdly enough, I had chronic fatigue syndrome. And this was an advantage for me because it forced me to really look at how I expended my energy. Because if I didn't, I could not by any means sustain myself in this profession. It, It wasn't possible for me to have some more coffee and just power through. Uh, the way I saw my colleagues doing. So I had to come up with a different approach. And so I've, um, I've kind of looked at some of your stuff. I guess your approach has yeah. a lot to do with basically you you give everything like an ROI. Is that right? A return on Ooh. investment? Return on investment is one of the key principles in teach from your best self. So, you know, in, in economics, if I'm an investor, I want to invest the minimum amount of money for maximum gains. And that yields a high ROI. Well, teachers, we invest our time, we invest our energy, and we invest our attention in order to produce student learning gains. Um, and so I got to start looking at, gee, okay, what are the things that yield the highest ROI? Uh, and what are the things that I can maybe set aside that don't yield so much? And I started really thinking about this the first time I assigned an essay to my students, and I I remember I was very anxious about wanting to say just the right things in the margins of these essays to help my students learn and grow. And I spent an entire Saturday making comments meticulously, erasing, rewriting. And I I brought the essays back on Monday and I watched the students flip through the essays after I handed them back and stuffed them in their binder. Mm. I said, oh my gosh, I just gave up an entire Saturday and the return on investment was so negligible. It was terrible. So that, that like woke me up to the fact that this job could completely consume me if I'm not more on the ball about what am I doing and what's going to yield actually learning gains and shift my strategy in those directions. 
So let's stay with that. Like, how did you shift your strategy in that particular scenario? What did you do next time? Well, so this was a like trial and error process. And so what I'm sharing with you developed over a career of 24 years classroom teaching. So it wasn't like an immediate, oh, this is what I should do. But what I realized is I, I stopped taking work home, which is really rare for a classroom English teacher. But it, it, it didn't make sense for me to, to do that. So I started spending a lot, I started uh, experimenting with grading while students were in the room and I would call them up to my desk and they would get the feedback that way, which was really kind of an interesting approach. And, and it, it started working really well to the point to where my students were thanking me for the feedback, even when I asked them to revise. It was like a whole shift in mindset because I'm, paying attention to them. I'm paying attention to their work. It's right in front of us. We're looking at it together. I'm talking to them writer to writer. And that was so validating for them that it, it really shifted a lot of things for me, just in terms of the paper grading part. In your research, I mean, where did you find that most of this burnout is coming from for teachers? Is it what you just said? Like, you know, you take all this work home and it's, it's like you work, you give all you've got in the classroom and then it follows you. Or are there other things that kind of lead to teachers just being burnout? There's a too much problem in education, and and there's a you know right now we're we're really facing a perfect storm I think of a, a lot of pressures from a lot of different directions. So teachers are under enormous amount of pressures, but I, I think it kind of stems stems from an assumption that the education system makes about how what's the best way to get students to learn, and the. The connection that we seem to assume is true is that students learn based on what teachers do. So, you know, carry that logic forward. If students aren't learning the way we want them to learn, then we have to give student teachers more and different things to do. So, you know, try that approach for 30, 40 years, and there's just a too way too many things for teachers to do because a lot of the stuff that we had them do last year doesn't get taken off the plate when we add the new stuff this year. Mm-hmm. And sort of the, this mania of more and more and more and more to do and the demands get higher and higher and teachers are invested wanting to bring their best to their students. And so they will, there's this expectation in the, in, in education that teachers will sacrifice themselves for the good of their students. And, and this just leads to demoralization, burnout, um, and feeling consumed by our jobs. What, what I bring, Teach From Your Best Self, is a completely different way of thinking about it. The assertion that I bring here is that what matters most isn't what teachers do, but it's the self that they teach from. Uh, I'm sorry, it's, so the, it's the what that they teach from? Yeah, the self okay. that they teach from. So if I'm bringing a frazzled, uh, stressed out, uh, demoralized or depleted self that actually matters quite a bit in terms of whether or not my students will learn compared to if I bring a self that's that's clear that's calm that I'm centered in my power and I'm open I'm relaxed I'm feeling replenished uh, vital that self actually will lead to much better student learning than if I've spent a long time depleting myself trying to create really awesome lessons that then I try to execute from a 
from the more compromised version of myself. So, so the billion dollar question is how do we get there? It's, it's a big question and that's what the book and that's what the trainings are about. And I can, I can give you some snapshots, but the trainings that I do for teachers take a year and, you know, it's all in a book. So, you know, I, I can deliver the material in a week and then we spend a year practicing and, and applying them. But one of the things that we have to, we have to um, include in sort of our map of what makes us so hard is the stress response system in our brains. So when our limbic system senses a, a threat, and this threat could just be, I'm just feeling so overwhelmed or feeling a sense of, of such anxiety about the situation that I'm in. It pulls resources from our neocortex. That's the part of our brain that does our thinking, our creativity, and our strategizing to put it into our heart and muscles and lungs to do the job of saving our life. Challenges if I'm a teacher and I'm tipping into those stress responses, I'm falling from my best self in terms of my ability to deliver a lesson, my ability to be with kids, my ability to teach. So learning how to keep ourselves regulated uh, actually matters quite a bit. And in the Teacher and Best Self program that I lead, I give teachers tools both for things that they can apply in the classroom that will both maximize their ability to stay in their best self as well as their students' ability to stay in their best selves. I give them tools for moments that are really um, highly pressured that, that would likely tip them into a stress reaction. And then I also give them tools for kind of building the internal capacity for maintaining a best self for the long haul. So I don't want to give the book away, but um, if you don't mind, like you said, you know, a tool uh, for when you're in the high stress situation, all right? So like things are, you're overloaded and then your your principal's coming in for an evaluation and you got parents, you know, breathing down your neck. Like, like, what do you do in these situations? What's what's the trick? Well, it's something that I did prior to this podcast, Nick, uh, because, you know, this is nerve, uh, nerve wracking for me. So it could easily tip me out of my best self. So I did something called box breathing, and this is something that the military trains Navy SEALs in before they go into a firefight. And so basically, uh, first thing I'm going to do is exhale all of my breath, and then I'm going to inhale for the count of four really slowly. I'm going to hold it for a count of four. I'm going to exhale for the count of four, and I'm going to hold that for the count of four. Um, and I you know, do three, three or four cycles of that to help me, my, help return me to my best self. And there's scientific reasons for this. Uh, uh, when we go out of our into a stress response, it's it's a function of our autonomic nervous system, and we actually shift our limbic system shifts us to a survival nervous system. Our nervous systems control all of the things that we otherwise don't. Um, don't have to think about our heart beating, our breathing, our, uh, the way we, we, we see, the, uh, our, how wide our vision is, our digestion. Well, I can give a signal to my limbic system that I'm okay if I breathe in a particular way that doesn't denote that I'm running for my life or having to fight for my life. I'm going to back you up on the earlier idea that you said how 
I think you mentioned that this takes practice, right? This takes a year, yeah. you know, and, and we've talked about meditation on this podcast before and, and just how, um, I, I think a lot of people try meditation or breathing techniques like you're talking about. Um, yeah. and they try it once and they go, ah, I don't feel any better. Um, but it really is more like exercise. It's like you can't lift up a weight and be like, I'm not stronger. Like it, it takes re- repetition before you actually start to feel the difference and get good at it and know how to to bring yourself back down to a good place with good breathing. Uh, that's just I'm just completely backing you up with what you, what you were saying earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it does because it's a different mindset and and there's a there's a paradigm in education that we kind of roll with and teach for your best self exists. It's a different mindset. It, it exists outside of that because what we're doing in education right now isn't working and continuing to do the same thing is just, we're, we're not going to get where we want to go. So take some time. What would you say to the teacher out there who, gosh, I mean, whether they're, they've been at it for a year or they've been at it for five years or 10 years and they're ready to exit. Like they're looking for new jobs, uh, you know, like what's your message to those people? Yeah. So, you know, the first message is, is, uh, I see it. I, I get it. I, I think that there's a, there's, there's a really deep need in educators right now to feel seen and validated for what it's actually like and to feel someone who's like, Oh my God, I'm, I get it. That's, that's way hard. Even that right there is really healing. Uh, and then, you know, I, it's, it's, it's hard. Like this, this basically breaks my heart when I see really good educators that want to teach, um, have to bail. And I think uh, for me, that the thing that makes it so difficult is that, uh, Teachers don't really want to leave, even when they want to leave. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They right. they want to stay. They want to they want to keep doing this job that they've chosen. And so, there's a lot in teach from your best self that can help them. The you know there's there's strategies that they could use. For instance, one of them is looking at what's in our spheres of control and influence. And so, I have students or not students, but teachers make lists of everything that they uh, they actually have control over. And there's this weird myth in education that we should have control over things we don't actually have control over. And then I can beat myself up for not being able to control things that are actually in my sphere of influence. Um, and then in my sphere of influence, I can list those things, but then I also influence exists in a range. So I could over some things, I have a lot of influence and over other things I have very little. So I number those, you know, if I'm, uh, if I'm trying to change educa- education policy to national level, my influence is really small. If I want to improve the dynamics in my classroom, I have a greater influence there, so I'm going to give that a high number. And then getting really clear about what we're actually powerless over. Uh, and having a just taking a really clear look and realizing, hey, I'm a human being here. I'm not a machine. And the most important thing I can do is bring my best self every day to these students and I have to start looking at ways to conserve myself and not waste my energy trying to control things that I don't have control. I have to be more strategic about how I do this job. I mean, that's so that's hard in practice. I mean, how do you turn off um, those those factors that you can't control? How do you say, you know, I'm just not going to worry about that because there's nothing I can do about it? Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and you know, it's not exactly res- resignation, like ah, you know, I'm I'm resigned, just like I'm not going to worry about it. But it's more like uh, I can't afford to devote to invest time, energy, and attention into things that yield nothing, that actually yield a negative because they just cost me and nothing positive is happening. That actually hurts me over the long haul. And if I can think about not just the students I have right now, but the students that I want to have five years from now, 10 years from now, I've got to, I've got to think long-term about this, which means I have to conserve myself today for those students instead of pow- trying to pile myself into de- depletion in order to serve the students I have now. It, it, it's starting to look like, I guess, I don't want to overstate it, but burnout is somewhat yeah. of a systemic problem. You know, I mean, this is, uh-huh. it, it's, it's not, it's not isolated. It's because of the system that we have in place and this is happening to teachers. Um, I say that to say a question that I don't know if you have the answer for, cause it's a tough question, but I mean, what could we do within the system to prevent this from happening? Like where is, where is, what's the catalyst that's causing teachers to feel this way? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that, that's really clear to me is that the way that we want teachers to relate to students is the way the system and the leadership in education, they need to relate to teachers. So I'm, I'm expected as a classroom teacher to create an atmosphere where students feel safe, where they feel respected, where they feel validated, where they feel appreciated, where they have a sense of belonging where I'm actually looking at ways to engage and inspire them and support them and meet their needs. So if the, if my administrator starts thinking about thinking in those terms about creating that kind of environment for their teachers, that's going to make it easier for me to stay in my best self. And it's going to make it easier for me to do my job. All of the stuff in teaching your best self can be applied at every level of education to the people that, that are, are kind of, they're entrusted with serving, supporting, um, supervising. If somebody wants to find Teach From Your Best Self, where's a good place to look for that? Yeah, I'd probably go to the website, teachfromyourbestself.org. It's got a lot of uh, further information. Um, there's my contact information on there, and people are welcome to reach out with questions. Or I'm just, just uh, curious you know, what they think of this. Jay, I appreciate the work you're doing, and I appreciate you joining us on Class Dismissed. Are you ready for our pop quiz? I'm ready. All right, first question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? <laughs> I'm an English teacher. I would say English, but honestly, uh, I think people, I think learning is an opportunity to change change your life. So that's like, l- learn it all and, and look for, follow your bliss, you know, as Joseph Campbell said. So... So whatever uh, appeals to the students, follow that yes as best they can. That's what I would suggest. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Oh, you know how to be how to make how to be better people. Uh, one of the things that inspired me so much, I've been teaching in alternative education in ten years, and students very resistant, uh, not liking school, but you can kind of see like where their life is headed, and. What can I do as an educator to help shift their life in a different direction? So some of this is, you know, included in the realm of social emotional learning, right? But it's also just the growth and capacity to, to deal with pressure, to deal with life, to, to discover 
what you're capable of. Like I think education ideally is a place where people can tap into their own potential and start to realize that because they're surrounded by people that believe in them uh, where they couldn't believe in themselves. What does every child deserve? Hmm. Every child deserves to know that they're loved, that they're cared for. People are for them. They're for their oath, for, for their dreams, for what they want to accomplish in their life. And every child deserves attention. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Yeah, the, the problem of too much. It, it's just, it's overwhelming. And uh, the job is too much. And the culture of education seems to cue us to internalize that we should be able to do it all. And we can't, we're human beings. There's very clear limits in our own our own time, resource, and attention are finite. And we have to start getting clear in, about how we're going to invest those because the system will just take it all if we, if we let it. What's the best gift to give an educator? Hmm. The best gift to give an educator, I, I think that it's probably a couple of them stacked. One of them is that we see it, we see it, we see you. We get it. We appreciate you. Um, and we want to support you. These are all messages. And one of the things I talk about in Teacher Your Best Self and we work with is the importance of giving people messages. Um, and, you know, the message that I appreciate you can sometimes come in the forms of a pay raise, you know, as well as, uh, you know, or better working conditions. Messages aren't just verbal, but they're also given through actions. Which teacher changed your life? Mm. You know, I had a college professor named uh, uh, Mr. Stralo, and I would come go into his office, and we would just chat about all kinds of things. I remember my sophomore year, I would, I, I had, I struggled. I turned in this essay that I thought was great, and he gave me a B minus. I went in and talked with him. After that conversation, I knew how to write an A essay forever. That's cool. That. That was so cool. Just like one conversation and forever I could always write an A essay. And I, before that, I it was like a, was like a black box enigma to me. Which book did you read, love, and want to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, um, Parker Palmer, The Courage to Teach. I read that as a, oh boy, pre-service teacher. I was in my uh, teacher preparation program. And I read that book and it, in some ways it set the foundation and sort of launched me into thinking about what we're talking about today, because Parker Palmer talks about the importance of the inner work of the teacher and that a good teaching comes from the integrity of the teacher uh, more than what they do. And so that's been hugely influential and I highly recommend that book. In fact, I give it to student teachers uh, when they, when they leave me. Good stuff. Again, uh, you're listening to Jay Schroeder. Uh, if you want to, learn more about everything he's working on, you can head to his website, teachfromyourbestself.org. And I guess the new book, is it, it's coming out very soon. It'll probably be out by the time we release this podcast, right? Uh, yeah, August 1st. Uh, you can have it delivered to your doorstep. It's available Amazon. Rutledge is the publisher. So I, I think Rutledge is running a sale on it right now. So, so I get it that way. Excellent. Thanks again, Jay. Appreciate you joining us on Class Dismissed. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. That's 
going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. Thank you.